Okay, let's get started. Good luck. Good luck. I heard an amazing story today, um, and I want to share with you incredible story, and I think it's um, very relevant to the time we're in right now. Tonight is the 19th of Av, tomorrow night is the 20th of Av, and it's the yard site of the uh, Rebbe's father. And uh, we know that the Rebbe's father um, spent a lot of time with our Rebbe. Um, the Rebbe's father uh, had teachers that he hired to teach his sons, but the teachers going to teach his sons so much, and you get to keep on switching teachers because... Whatever they, whatever they taught, they taught, and then they couldn't teach anything else anymore. And eventually, um, his father had to learn with the Rebbe himself. As, um, as a, a na- there was a neighbor of the um, Rebbe who um, said that the Rebbe's father would learn with his son uh, for many hours a night. And then the next day, the Rebbe would learn in school like as if nothing happened. Like he stayed up all night with his father learning. And uh, they continue, and then they will continue learning the next day while he still was um, um, learning with all the other boys in the um, in the school, in this in this cheder, in this this uh, small group of boys who were learning with the teacher that his father had hired. So, the Rebbe's father is famous for his amazing teachings in Kabbalah, and not just teachings in Kabbalah, but how. Revealing how the whole, whole Torah is really one, and putting it all together. But besides showing how the whole Torah is one, Rebbe's father also, like our Rebbe, um, had sacrificed to bring Jews close to Judaism in in ways that no one would expect. Just one famous story um, that comes to mind is that um, the way the communist system was, uh, was that every person felt that they were spied on by others. So you you were a spy and you were also spied on by your neighbor. And so there was a, a chasan kala, there was a groom and bride who needed to get married. And um, they came to Rebbe's father to do the wedding. And he did the wedding in secret, late at night, at midnight. But in order to do the wedding, he wanted there to be um, a minion, ten people, which was totally illegal. You're not allowed to gather with ten people. But he had enough, except he needed one more. So who did he call to be the tenth man? He called the, in this building complex, as every building complex in, in Soviet Russia had, there was a guy who was meant to inform the government of what's going on in the complex. So he called the informer, the Jewish informer, to be the tenth person for the minion. And the guy couldn't believe he was being called. <laughs> You're calling me. It's like, like asking someone to report you to the KGB to go and be in prison for who knows how long. And yet, the Rebbe's father, Rebbe Yitzchak, saw that this person is a Jew. He's part of the Jew, part of the minion, part of the group. And the wedding was held. So, so these two two ideas, um, exploring how the whole Torah is one Torah in, in such an incredible, beautiful way, and reaching out to every single Jew, are are two common themes that we find between the Rebbe and his father, which brings me to. Um, one teaching from Rebbe's father and one and uh, a story. Teaching is this. Back to this week's Torah portion, I'm going to ask our Kabbalist Yehuda to correct me on this one. Um, teaching is like this. 
we learned, we learned this week about the mitzvah of, uh, oh, wow, Ritzal, Pesach Ritzal is joining us. Unbelievable. Ritzal, I love you. I am so happy. Thank you for joining us. It's a great honor. So, um, the teaching is this. It says in the Torah, when you wear tefillin, it causes all the nations of the world to fear you. So, this is the teaching of Abeliezer HaGadol, great Abeliezer. So the Rebbe Lezer taught, we're still in the cause nations of the world to fear you. So the Rebbe's father said, why um, why does Tillin cause this great fear among the Gentiles? Why does it protect the Jewish people? And why is it that it was Rebbe Lezer HaGadol who gave us his teaching? So he said this, you find that the Jewish people were afraid of four giants that were in the land of Israel, Chimah, Shesh, Betalmai, and because there are four giants, so there's also, in the tefillin, there's four compartments. Four compartments in the head tefillin, to count, which correspond to the four letters of God's name, which are uh, parallel to the forces of the opposite of holiness. It says in the Torah that God made the holy and the unholy to be parallel to each other. So that's why there's four compartments in the head tefillin, and the head film specifically is what gives us protection from our enemies because the four compartments of the head film correspond to the four giants which represent forces of evil that challenge us. And the uh, the uh, name of Hashem, Yudkevavke, um, actually equals to the name of Yazir HaGadol. Yazir HaGadol is equal to 366. And somehow Yudkevavke, you know, the, the regular the regular way to to, um, to spell Yudkevavke is equal to twenty six. But there's another Kabbalistic way of spelling Yudkevavke, where Yudkevavke equals to three sixty six. Do you really know how that works? No, three sixty six Yudkevavke. We're doing that for homework. All right. So Yezra Gadol equals to three sixty six, and therefore he was the one who taught us this teaching about how tefillin brings protection to us from all of the nations of the world. He was someone who was called the great Abelazar because he himself was someone who God's name shined in. He, he experienced divine revelation all the time. That's why he's called the great Abelazar. Therefore, he was the one, says Abelazar's father, who gave us this teaching. Also, the, in the tefillin, there is a shin on both sides of the head tefillin. The, the letter shin that Rizal says stands for Shem Hashem Nikra. The name of God is upon you. So that's why we're in tefillin causes protection from all our enemies. As the Torah says, when God's name is upon us, we are protected. And that's what the word tefillin also was connected to. Every day we say in our prayers, may there be fear and dread upon all, on all of our enemies. The word tipol, which means may it fall upon them, this fear, tipol is also the same letters for the word tefillin. So the um, tefillin campaign that ever began during, before the Six-Day War um, clearly brought about this this miracle of God where as someone has actually mentioned on our Shabbos table this week, interesting thing that in the school of war when war is taught in military academies one of the wars which is not admissible as testimony as, as how war is supposed to be fought is a six day war it's not admissible in testimony because it's, it was just a total miracle of God it's something unexplainable but it we know why the six day war was so miraculous Rebbe said before the Six Day War, every soldier should put on tefillin, and there was a huge campaign then. And miraculously, as ever predicted, um, within six days the war was over with the unbelievable miracle for the triumph of the Jewish people. And since then, since 
the uh, time of the Six-Day War in uh, 1967, this campaign continues and brings protection to Jewish people wherever they are. And even one person putting on film one time does something. It protects not just him, but all the Jewish people. So getting to our story of one person doing something one special. Second. Huh? One second, just to remind you, that yeah. the war, 67, the Mitzvah, when they saw the Jewish putting feeling, they thought it's Malachim. Right. The Egyptians actually weren't just, they, they saw the Jews wearing stone with their binoculars, and they, and they saw them wearing stone, they thought it was some kind of new weapon. So, um, so this is the story, I heard part of the story before, the part I'm sharing with you now, unbelievable. New, it's, a, it's a whole new story. Um, Shmuel Khaifer was sent by the rabbi to Israel, and he was the dean of the women's school, the Yisrifka school, and he took care of thousands of girls that went through the school every year. And one of the things that the school was challenged was with um, lack of space. And so they had to build a new building, and the Rebbe wanted him to spearhead this effort, and it was not, it's not easy to, an easy undertaking. But besides not being an easy undertaking, um, besides that, uh, there's also kind of more complications and more delays. So Rabbi Shmuel Khefer visited the Rebbe, and was very happy and proud to share with the Rebbe a model, uh, a diagram, a blueprint, of the of the building that they were going to build in Kfar Chabad as Rebbe instructed, as Rebbe wanted. So he brings this this um, diagram, and the Rebbe rolls back the diagram. He rolls it back. And the Rebbe said, what's going on with this girl whose name was Tweeda? So Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Hefer had no idea what that was referring to. He had thousands of girls and started studying. Who was Rabbi asking about? What happened with her? Apparently this girl wasn't happy school. Because she wasn't happy, she uh, left the school. And she wrote a letter to the Rebbe, telling the Rebbe what's wrong with the school and why she's leaving. And the Rebbe, instead of looking at the um, circumstance as, well, now we're building a new building for the school, the Rebbe, and here's the man who's involved in the building, much bigger event is happening. The Rebbe looks at the event as, there's one Jewish girl and she's not part of this school, she's leaving, what's going on? And so the Rebbe encouraged him to take care of this um, scenario, what's going on, why she's in the school. And he successfully went together with the whole entourage of other rabbis to her home and spoke to her and listened to her and took care of every one of the issues and she returned to the school. The Rebbe invited her to come to New York. I think they paid for her ticket, gave her a doll. So this is a story about a girl named Tweedo that I have heard before. Her last name is Tweedo. A colleague of mine was sharing the story at a friend of mine's house, just had a baby, by Rablevi Boganin, on Sukkot. He shared the story. And he shared the story, actually it wasn't in his office, it was home of a friend of Levi, um, in a second. So he shared the story. And this guy hears the story, he's like, I have to have a dollar from the Rebbe. That's who the Rebbe is. Now I understand why it's so special to get something from the Rebbe. I really need something from the Rebbe. I want a dollar from the Rebbe. He was in pestering Levi. Levi, you have so many things from the Rebbe. Give me one of your dollars from the Rebbe. Now, people who are, have a special gift of having something from the Rebbe aren't so quick to part with this gift because it's such a special thing. You don't want to let go of it, something the Rebbe gave you. They would give it to you specifically. So it's hard to let go of it. And even if 
that's the right thing or not, but that's that's the way it is. Just again, it's hard to part with anything that's personal and special. So he didn't want to let go, but the guy kept on pestering him. And so the lady calls his father, Rabbi Boganim, Rabbi um, Boganim in Israel, and Rabbi Boganim says, "Okay, I, this is what we're going to do. If this gentleman will take upon himself to do something special, a good decision, then I am going to send him a dollar from that." Okay. At that time. There was a Chabad center in Israel that was interested in printing a Tanya. As the Rebbe instructed, every city should have a Tanya printed. And not just one, but it's a good thing in general to print a Tanya. So, I think it was in Petach Tikva. They needed a Tanya to be printed. So this man uh, accepted to underwrite the printing of that Tanya. And in exchange, Rabbi Boganim sent him a UPS a dollar for that. Okay? Lady calls him up. My father signs you a dollar. Come over. He comes over. He gives him the dollar to the But the story doesn't end there. The guy looks at the dollar. And he says, "This dollar has this as it, it's, there's an inscription on this dollar, and the dollar has an inscription of that this dollar was given to whoever it was on the same date that my son was born." This is very meaningful to me to have this dollar because this dollar was given on, the, on, the, on my son's birthday. So this is very special to me. This is my Father's Day dollar. Wow, that's so nice. It's very special. Okay. I'm, the lady's like, you know, okay, it's nice, it's special. But then the guy is so excited about this. He calls Lady up the next day. I want to know more about this dollar. What's the story of the dollar? Lady's busy in this business and the guy is, is not satisfied. He has to know why is this dollar so special. And they say, I don't know, I'm busy right now. The guy isn't satisfied. He comes over to Levy's business. Just tell me what's so special about this dollar. What's the story of this dollar? He's like, I don't know. He says, call your father. Ask him. I have to know the story of the dollar. He calls up, the, he calls up his father in Israel. And his father says, this dollar was given to a certain girl whose last name was Tweedo. And it was given, and tells them the whole story. The same story that they heard, and in the sukkah, when, which inspired him to want to have a dollar from the Rebbe, he got that dollar that the Rebbe gave to this girl, who today, um, is a grandmother. Actually, Lady was a classmate of one of her, uh, sons. So, th- they were talking about this dollar from the Rebbe, this, this story of the Rebbe, about this, this Miss Tweedo. And, and that's what inspired him to want to have a dollar from the Rebbe. And then he eventually receives that very same dollar. Which perhaps is a significant thing in many ways. But even though who is, who, who, how are we meant to understand divine providence and know what the meaning of this is. But, um, today, uh, we're discussing the story at, at a Fabrengen. You're, uh, had the unique privilege to have a Fabrengen with Rabbi Schneer from Montreal. And the subject came up, like, it seemed, from the story, that it's not, not just that is it special to receive something that belonged to a tzaddik. The Gemara says that anyone who takes a coin from Job, from Eov, is blessed, because Job, Eov, was such a special person, having something in your possession that, he, that belonged to him is a blessing. So it seems that having something that belonged to a tzaddik is a blessing, doesn't matter which particular item, doesn't matter which particular person is having something from the tzaddik. But this story seems to indicate more. It seems like that 
this particular dollar was connected to this guy's desire to connect with that aspect of the Rebbe's love for every Jew that he wanted to connect with that seemed like it seems like that something I mean something very novel so that was the discussion is there something special about the specific dollar you get from the Rebbe or is it or is it there because of dollars and just having one of the dollars is, is special or is there something unique about each dollar I know Kabbalists in Israel um, have this custom of not only um, checking if mezuzahs are kosher but reading the mezuzahs and trying to find out a connection between the person and his mezuzah I don't know in, 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 if in Chabad literature there's any kind of parallel to that behavior, but that was a discussion. Is a dollar you see from the Rebbe unique to you? That, that dollar is for you? Or is it just a dollar? So Rabbi Schneer shared something very interesting. He said that the Rebbe would give out Masa before Passover, and there was a period where the Rebbe gave out Masa himself, and then later there were so many people Rebbe gave out matzah through the, uh, he gave them uh, each member of the kolel in Crown Heights, I think two pounds of matzah and these kolel members would give out matzahs to all the members, everyone who wanted to receive matzah from the Rebbe but earlier on the custom was that the people came themselves to get matzah from the Rebbe and the Rebbe distributed the matzah in an interesting way he gave two pieces to each person this is how it was originally and each person never broke off a piece of matzah and from and he didn't give the person it wasn't that he broke off two pieces from one matzah but it was one piece from one matzah one piece from another matzah it's something that you know us human beings wouldn't understand why this person gets this matzah this person gets that matzah not something which we can understand they would break off one piece of one matzah one piece of another matzah and give it to one person and then the same thing each person had two pieces of two different matzahs so Rabbi Yitzhak Nemanov who is the um, dean of the Chabad Yeshiva in France, he and his brother would go by every year before Passover, and they would receive matzah from the Rebbe, and uh, they also received matzah for their father who was stayed in France. So they got matzah for themselves, and they'd also send by UPS uh, on, during Cholomoy, they would send matzah so that their father could receive the matzah from the Rebbe, and uh, it was a bit of a difficult thing for them to approach the Rebbe and ask the Rebbe for matzah for their father because their father because going to speak with the Rebbe is, it's, it's intimidating it's as many people when they, when they come in front of the Rebbe they just aren't able to talk not able to talk at all so um, so Rabbi Yitzchak and his brother Rabbi Moshe who already passed away they would have a discussion every year who was going to approach the Rebbe? And they, they had this arrangement where they would switch off years. One year, Rabbi Yitzchak would ask them for the matzah. One year, he would ask them for matzah for their father, Rabbi Nissen, in France. So one year, it was Ramesha's turn to ask them for the matzah for his father, Rabbi Nissen. Rabbi Yitzchak goes by the Rebbe. The Rebbe gives him two pieces of matzah. The Rebbe says to him, But what about for you? What about for me? He says, this, isn't this for me? So he says, no, that's for your father. So Yitzhak was totally like, you know, he was too scared, but he said, just like shocked, so he says, but no, my brother's supposed to get matzah for my father. So the Rebbe gave him a new piece of matzah for him. That piece of matzah that he gave him originally was for Rebbe Yitzhak. That matzah was returned. And for Rebbe Yitzhak, he gave him a different piece of matzah. 
there was a one piece of matzah was meant for a nisan. That was a unique piece of matzah. Another piece of matzah was meant for a yitzchak. Another piece of matzah. It shouldn't surprise us um, to hear that kind of thing from the Rebbe because we know that um, the Rebbe relates to each person individually and personally in a way that that was beyond human understanding. Uh, bring another story I heard this week um, from uh, a man in Arizona uh, who shared a story personally to me. Mr. Perline shared an amazing story himself to me. Unbelievable. He was living at that time in Pomona in New York but Pomona wasn't what Pomona is today today Pomona is, is, is full of, of synagogues and, and everything you could possibly want as a Jew for, for religion, any kind of thing you need Pomona is full of, of so many different um, Jewish organizations of every type and stripe but at that time Muncie uh, was the uh, Jerusalem uh, if you will of, of America and Pomona was a non-Jewish area so this, Mr. Perline, he found himself commuting to Muncie six or seven times a week, which was very difficult for him. And the reason he didn't move to Muncie was only because he had some property in, in, in Pomona. He didn't, couldn't sell it. And so he was living in Pomona. He was trying to sell it for a very, very long time, for weeks and months and years. He's trying to sell this property. And finally, um, he comes before the Rebbe, and he's with a friend of his who is 6'4", very tall guy, and he um, is walking in front of his friend, and when he sees the Rebbe, he just, his knees buckle. He can't talk. And his friend grabs him and holds him up. And he wants to say something, but he just, he's still 20 feet away from the Rebbe. And there's no way, uh, according to human nature, that Rebbe could hear him. Just because he just muttered under his breath, I, I want a bracha to move to Jewish neighbor. That's what he said, under his breath. Far away from the Rebbe, while the Rebbe's still talking to other people. But, Somehow, with divine inspiration, when he passed by the Rebbe, the Rebbe looked at him, the Rebbe said to him, a bracha to move into a religious neighborhood. And within a week, he had an offer for his home. He said this was the best day of his life. His home was sold. He was able to move into Muncie as he desired. Anyway, so, so getting back to Rebbe Yitzchak's uh, matzah, so Rebbe had a matzah for Rebbe Yitzchak, a matzah for Amisim, and each one had uh, something something unique and something which comes from the Rebbe for each person. It's not just that the Rebbe gives each person a dollar, but that dollar that you receive is something that's unique to you. And even if you didn't get it directly from the Rebbe's hand, like in this story, it's something unique. Why well, you got that dollar? Amazingly, that, that that's that's the conclusion I, I get. Uh, that's my perspective. Take it or leave it. Um, on that note, I want to share with you another story about Rabbi uh, Yitzhak Yadgar. Yitzhak Yadgar, I heard the story from him myself twice, and if that wasn't enough, I heard it again from Rabbi Schneer, who was visiting, and he was present when the story took place. This is the story. Um, every year, people from Israel would come to the Rebbe to celebrate the holiday season. Rabbi Yadgar's birthday is on Simchas Torah. But in Israel, there's only one day. Israel only has um, one day of Simchas Torah. They don't, they don't have two days. They celebrate both days on the first day, Shemini Atzeres. So what would happen was every year, people would come from Israel, and they would make a, their own minion on the first day of the holiday. And unlike we in the diaspora, 
who we have the dancing hakafas at the nightish pinyatzeres. And on Simchas Torah, that's the only time we dance during the daytime with the Torah. We have a kafas in the night of both Shminyatzeres and Simchas Torah. But we dance with the Torah during the daytime only the second day of the holiday in Simchas Torah. In Israel, because they only have a one-day holiday, they dance, for them it's all Simchas Torah, it's one day. So they dance on the night of Simchas Torah, on night of Shminyatzeres, which is their Simchas Torah, and they dance on the day as well. So they're in 770. And their 770 is outside of Israel. So what do they do? They make their own group of people to daven together. And they do hakafas by night and hakafas by day as they would do as if they were in Israel. That's what they did. But there was a discussion um, about about this. Um, because on the other hand, um, they came to celebrate the holiday with the Rebbe. So there is halachic um, leverage to that um, intent you, the reason why you came and how you came and why you're there and you were there with your family that's, a, that's important to know in, in discussing whether you should celebrate one day of the holiday or two days of the holiday but at that time everyone celebrated everyone from Israel came to the rabbi celebrated one day of the holiday and the second day of the holiday they would put on tefillin as if it was a regular day not a holiday they, they didn't the rabbi wasn't uh, apparently didn't, didn't give an opinion about this at that time until the following event happened. Happens like this. Rabbi Yadgar, who just passed away recently, his birthday was on the on Simchas Torah. And on Simchas Torah, it's customary for every person to be called up to the Torah. Every person is called to the Torah on Simchas Torah. But in 770, there are thousands of people. It's not possible for everyone to get an aliyah. So what they uh, arranged was, what, what, what the custom is, in 770 is, that you don't, go um, up to the Torah to say a blessing as you usually do on a regular Shabbat, rather you stay wherever you are. You can't, you can't have, it's impossible for everyone to go up to this Torah. So, someone calls you up, the person next to you calls you up, you call up the person next to you, and so everyone gets an aliyah from where they're standing, somewhere in the synagogue, as many synagogues did during um, the height of the pan- pandemic. So, everyone gets an aliyah. The question is about him. Should he get an aliyah? Because on the one hand, it's his birthday. On the other hand, it's not a holiday for him. It's a day after the holiday for him. So should he get an aliyah? Or should he not get an aliyah? That was the question. So he went over to the Rebbe himself to ask the Rebbe. He told him, today's my birthday. And the question was obvious. So the Rebbe said, let another person say the blessing for you. And you'll answer Amin to their blessing, and that will be considered the Ketir blessing. You'll be called up, but you'll, you'll answer Amin to someone else's blessing. So the way I heard it from Yadgar is different to the way Rabbi Shneir, who was there, said it. They both were there, and this is what I remember from Rabbi Yadgar. He said, but I came, Aldata Rabbi, I came here with intent to be here with the Rebbe. And so that's the way I heard it. The way Rabbi Shneir said it was, he didn't say that, he said, I, I celebrate two days of the holiday. He decided himself that year, I am going to celebrate both days of the holiday. I am not going to celebrate. It doesn't make sense to celebrate one day of the holiday. I'm here to be with the Rebbe. I'm celebrating both days of the holiday. For me, I'm, as if I live in New York, I'm celebrating two days of the holiday. Right now, I'm here. I'm here fully. I'm celebrating two days of the holiday. And that's what he did. So that's what he told the Rebbe. So the Rebbe said, If so, Yale, V'yavarech, he should go have an aliyah, and he should say the bracha himself. Which is a very unusual thing, because a bracha general rule with the bracha is 
you cannot say a blessing unless it's for sure. Unless it's for sure. If it's not for sure, you can't say a blessing. But here the Rebbe accepted his intent of why he was there as having such halachic significance to warrant a blessing, which says a lot about Rabbi Yadigar, about his sincere intent to be there and why he was there. And, uh, and, and, and the Rebbe's response was clearly um, an affirmation to his, uh, to his desire to be there by the Rebbe, and, um, and therefore he could say a bracha at the Torah, on Simchas Torah, although he was from, from Eretz Yisrael. Um, I'll share with you one more story, because especially in honor of Pesach Batzal, doesn't always join us, and Pesach Batzal is a great guy. I'll tell you one more story. I heard a story from uh, Rabbi Schneer, um, in sync with the stories we shared before. Uh, two more stories, actually, because as you know, when I think of one, I remember, that, I remember another one. So this is how this is two stories he shared. One story he shared was um, that the Rebbe Rasham told us the previous Rebbe the following issue he had. The issue he had was this: his father, the Rebbe Marash, would share a discourse of Hasidic philosophy every week, and for him, that was the focal point of the whole week. He would spend the whole week studying that discourse deeply. And that was that was what he prayed with. That's what he thought about. That's what he learned the whole week. He learned his father's discourse. One week, the discourse was especially enjoyable, especially uh, precious to him. And then, when the new discourse came, he didn't want to go to the new discourse. He wanted to stay with the old discourse. And his father, he told his father about his dilemma. And his father said that there's there's different kinds of evil of yetsaharas of animal souls, different kinds of of drives that we experience. And sometimes you could have a something, a, 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 a drive to the wrong thing that comes from, it seems, a holy place. In Chas, By Chassim there's an expression um, that Esav, it's not what the Rabbi Marash said, but this is what the Chassidim say, Esav could also, Yaakov's brother Esav, who was known to be a terrible villain, also wore a silk kapata. He wore a silk frock coat that Hasidim wear. He didn't, he didn't walk around with a hatchet. He didn't walk around with a cow, like a cowboy. In a similar way, our own Yetzar, our own evil inclination, could derail us with very holy reasons, very holy and noble reasons to get us off from what we were meant to do. As the title of this week's Torah portion, Ekev. Ekev means heal. And it indicates, as Rashi says, some mitzvahs you do because you feel they're precious. Some mitzvahs you say, yeah, it doesn't sound important. You disdain them. You trample them underfoot. Why do you trample them underfoot? Because you have the, the wrong perspective about the value of, um, of what you're doing. So, um, so the key is is to realize that a mitzvah has two components. There's a component of a mitzvah that it is a uh, what it, each mitzvah gives you, and you can do the mitzvah based upon the value it gives you, or you can look at a mitzvah as a way to connect to Hashem. And if looking at a mitzvah as a way to connect to Hashem, and then, then it doesn't matter what the mitzvah is. It doesn't matter. You go all the way. That's what we learned today in, in Perkyavas, and that's what our fathers, Benazi, taught us. You have to run to do an easy mitzvah. Running to do an easy or a lighter mitzvah. Running to do a mitzvah which is seemingly insignificant. There's running physically with your body, which is halachic requirement to run to a mitzvah. And then there is another thing to go crazy for a mitzvah. So not just to walk, not just to go fat quickly, but to run. When you're running, you're like going out of yourself. You're like losing yourself. You're so excited, you lost yourself. What makes you run? You're running, you're exerting yourself beyond your 
usual uh, mojo, where's that coming from? It's coming because you really care. So Ben Azay says, even the mitzvahs which you may think are like, what they contribute to your life, you may think that they're just lighter, not so important, but have a rots mitzvah to run those mitzvahs, and eventually, um, even if you don't feel it, if you follow the quote of Jewish law says, which is to run to the synagogue and to run to a mitzvah, eventually it becomes, um, becomes part of you. It becomes, and you feel in your heart also um, this, this excitement and this exuberance in, in, um, in, doing, in doing a mitzvah. So, um, um, stories like this, that... Um, Um, as as uh, Beryl said before, I'm very tired, so I, I, don't remember, I, don't remember, I don't remember which show I wanted to share, but here's another, here's another one. Um, this is a story about my grandfather, a month 11 or so, which I heard also from Mishnah today. He said that, oh, yeah, I remember. Story story number one. The story, uh, okay, fine, I'll tell you two more stories. I've already gotten to that story. So, um, So um, the Tzemach Tzedek had a chassid whose name was Rab Aaron, a very prominent chassid, and he was sent by the by the Tzemach Tzedek to go to Petersburg to um, represent the Tzemach Tzedek's interests and the interests of the Jewish people in Petersburg. But before he left, Rabbi Aaron asked the Tzemach Tzedek, "What should I do if I don't know what to do? If I don't know what to do. What should I do?" In other words, if I'm here, I can ask you, but I'm going to be there by myself. What should I do? So the Tzemach Tzedek said to him, you should picture me and think about, as if you're asking me the question, and decide there on the spot. Think about, in other words, think about what I want. Think about what, 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 uh, what the right thing is. Similar thing they ever told Rabbi Gorelik, all the show. They ever once said to him, do I need to hold you by the hand the whole time? Think in a way of seichel, think with a way of chacham bin think in a way of, with intelligence, according to Hasidus, and you will, you will get the right answer. So, the Rebbe Marash was once studying with his father Tzemach Tzedek and in the middle of while they were studying Tzemach Tzedek stops and he says it's a Rachmanis it's, I feel so bad for Arale Arale was the with the beloved title he gave this this, this rabbi Arale is having a difficulty right now he doesn't know what to do apparently at that exact moment he's in Petersburg somewhere and doesn't know what to do about how to how to approach whatever issue it was Tzemach stopped his learning with his son and said, poor Arla. And then he said, but he's a smart man and he will he will know what to do. That's what he said. He's a smart rabbi, he'll know what to do. And sure enough, after Rabbi Aaron returned to the city of Lubavitch, Rabbi Marash asked him, tell me about your visit there, what happened, what, and, and that exact moment when his father said to him, poor Arla, at that exact moment he was in a quandary and because the Mahsadik responded to him in his thoughts, he knew where to go. So getting back to the last story, uh, with my grandfather, which I heard from a missionary today, amazing story. The story is this. Um, it's a little bit of an off color story for um, but it's a Hasidic vintage story, and you're already up to past love fifteen, so you deserve it. Here you go to Rabbi but Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, all of a sudden, he was a theologian of formidable prowess, a, a, a known Torah on a level that I, I can only imagine. 
And to, know, to, to describe someone's genius in Torah, you have to have genius yourself, so I, I couldn't possibly do justice to that. But in his early beginnings in his career, he was, um, he was a re- returnee to Judaism. He wasn't, he wasn't um, always keeping Torah and Mitzvot as fully. And uh, in his, he lived in Kfar, he was one of the residents of Farhabad, and my grandfather uh, was interested in teaching him a little bit more about the Hasidic way of life than he knew. And my grandfather wasn't one to um, uh, speak in a uh, filtered way when the occasion warranted to speak openly and clearly. So he told Rabbi Steinzaltz the need to connect himself with pure faith in the Moshe Rabbeinu of our generation, our Rebbe. And to connect like a simple person. I mean, Steinzaltz is a genius. When you're a genius, it's a little bit hard to push your mind aside and to to be, as we're discussing, to be like the heel and to approach mitzvot and run after mitzvot. If you're, the, more, the smarter you are, a uh, little harder it is to push away your mind and just have that simple faith. So he felt that he was missing something in that arena. At that time, Abbe Steinzaltz was giving a class in the home of the president of Israel, Rabbi Sher, uh, Mr. Shazar. Shazar was the president of Israel at the time. And um, he felt... My grandfather felt that because um, Steinzaltz was spending his time around the who's who of the um, government of Israel, he invited the president's home himself to give a class in Tanya, he felt that this was a little bit um, contributing to maybe having a bloated ego, and he told him as much. So not to be uh, undone, Rabbi Steinzaltz also was also gifted to be very open and clear as to say how he felt and he responded in kind and he said, listen Rabbi Levin, he told my grandfather, listen Rabbi Levin, you are living in Kfar Chabad and you as I know that when Mr. Shazar visits our village, everyone fawns over him, everyone welcomes him, you're saying that I give too much attention to the who's who of the nobility of the government of Israel of the prestigious members of the Knesset, you're saying that I am uh, attributing myself to having... I, I am looking at myself as, as holier than thou or as greater than thou because of my association with the Israel elite. I don't think that I am worse than the members of the village who fawn over Mr. Shazar. They, they welcome him with such um, excitement and prestige when he visits our village and they give him such a welcome, as, and they, they're far more into him than I am. I talk to him like a regular guy. He talks to me. I tell him exactly how I think. I don't. I am not someone who is so uh, overwhelmed by the um, environment that I'm in. On the contrary, you and other members of this village, when he comes to his visit, for the, as Shazai would, he would visit the village on the occasion of the 19th of Hislev. He would visit to the mats. He would visit various occasions. And everyone came with a big parade, a very big honor, as the Rebbe instructed. They, they should welcome him. But he felt, Shainzel felt it was, it was people were feeling a little bit uh, starstruck. They became paparazzi. So my grandfather responded like this. So let me tell you the difference. There's a, there's a poor man who never ever tasted meat in his life. We can't imagine this today, but at that time, Rabbi Schneider said this was, it was very imaginable person who never tasted meat. And then one day he gets meat. He'll eat that meat with a lot of gusto, a lot of vigor, with his hands, with his with, he's going to eat the meat with his hands. He's so excited. He's eating meat. It'll be so exciting to him. 
compared this poor person to a wealthy person who eats meat every single day, always eating meat. So the wealthy person doesn't eat with such gusto. He eats with a fork and a knife, cuts it into little pieces, and he eats it. He puts in a, a, a handkerchief, a apron, whatever, and eats in a very um, methodical way. So who is more into the meat? It would seem the poor guy's more into them because he's eating such gusto, he's so into it, he's moving around, he's, 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 he's stuffing in his mouth. But it's the opposite. The ones who, who's really into the meat is actually the rich man. And what's a proof? Take away the dinner from the poor guy. Take away the dinner from the rich man. What will be the reaction? If you take away the away dinner from the poor guy, he'll be upset, but he'll move on. This is not something just part of his world. That's why it's so... That's why there's such a reaction because not part of his world. As opposed to take away the dinner from the wealthy man, oh, he will never forget that. He will never forget the fact that he lost his dinner. It seems he's like not so into it because it's the reason he doesn't show such excitement because it's part of him. He's become one with his dinner. He, he identifies with his dinner. And that's why he doesn't, he, on the one hand, it looks like not, he's not impressed by it because it's part of him. And therefore, if he doesn't, he's not given that dinner, he has a whole visceral reaction to that scenario. So the same is said, Rabbi Levin, my grandfather, he said, when Shazar visits the village, it's a phenomenon for us. It's something unusual. We, like, we're excited about it because it's not part of us. But you, you have become part of that culture. And I want to tell you that you need to move aside your mind and, and calibrate yourself with faith in Hashem, Faith in Moshe, his servant. Hashem bless us all that uh, we begin this week with joy and inspiration and absolute faith in Hashem, absolute faith in Moshe Rabbeinu, absolute faith in the promise of the coming Mashiach. As we just read today in the Torah portion, the Parshas or A, in the Torah, we read the words, Look, God says, I'm giving you today a blessing. Never said these words, that Hashem announces through his servants, his prophets, Look, I'm giving you today a blessing. The blessing of the true and complete of the Mashiach. Until today, literally, you will see the coming Mashiach as announced by the prophets of Hashem. It's words. And Hashem is telling us, look, pay attention. It's real. and It's happening. And we're going to see it. Chaim Chaim. Agut Avach. Mashiach now.